Hello, listeners. What you're about to hear was previously recorded at the 2016 ABA Annual Meeting in San Francisco, California. It's a story. More particularly, it's a story about Andrea Jarman and her tough path to law school and beyond. Just a fair warning to our listeners, Andrea's story includes some rough circumstances and disturbing details, but it's very much worth the listen. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. So before we get going on this, I want to tell the listeners that I'm hearing this story for the first time. And so, uh, Miss Andrea Jarman, without further delay, can you tell us your story? My story is one about unexpected opportunities and chance moments where people have been able to play a role that has put me on a path that I never would have anticipated. I was born in Macon, Georgia. My mother had three children. She was married to my father. They had an incredibly abusive relationship. My father was like the boogeyman. Christmas occasions are supposed to be happy occasions. You remember Christmas trees and and, and the ornaments. And I recall the Christmas occasion that I stopped believing in Santa Claus. And that was a morning where my father was being in his throes of anger, very physically abusive towards my mother. He had pushed over the Christmas tree, all the ornaments went crashing to the floor. And we were hiding in between the legs of a bar stool. After 15 years of enduring just great suffering, she finally summoned the courage to leave. She looked at the map, Georgia, Washington State. That's as far as way as she could get. So we found ourselves in the state of Washington. But as I say, like most victims of domestic violence, they don't recognize the signs in the next perpetrator. So the next individual that she met was a monster, even more heinous and egregious than my father. This individual was an alcoholic, and when he drank, his physical aggression exploded. And he was also inappropriate with physical boundaries when it came to minors. So my mother and I, we developed this routine whereby I would wait at the Seattle-Tacoma airport And I would call and ask her, is it safe to come home yet? So that was pretty much our routine. One evening, I made the mistake of coming home too early, and he was still there. And it was immediately obvious that he had consumed perhaps a little bit more than he typically consumed. His rage showed on his face. So she quietly took me to the room, and she said, just sit here quietly. We're going to try not to do anything to set him off. She closed the door and left me there. So I sat crisscross applesauce, being as quiet as I could be, waiting for him to leave. But you can't hide from the monster. He came into the room, 
and he had a gun in his hand. He closed the door and he turned off the lights. It's completely dark. No idea what he's doing, but I hear him take the safety off the gun. It's the loudest thing I think I've ever heard in my life. And I sit there trying to be really quiet and still, not wanting to move one bit. After what seemed like an eternity, I heard the door open and he left. I was not turning back on the lights. I wasn't taking any chances. So in the dark, I grabbed whatever clothes I could and placed them into two bags. And I climbed through the bedroom window. And I left. And I never went back. Um, I found myself on the, uh, at the doorsteps of Children Protective Services, CPS in Washington State, as we call it. And it's at the hours, so I'm trying to access help through this intercom system. I'm telling the woman who answers, I don't have any place to go. Now, I knew to go to CPS because a couple of months earlier, my mother had taken me there. Um, but so I'm explaining to her, I, I'm back again. I, I don't have any other place to go. And, and the woman says, well, technically, you haven't been abandoned yet, so we can't do anything for you. I'm like, but I'm, I, I don't have any place. This was the only place I knew how to get to. Silence. There's no additional response. So it's about 1 o'clock in the morning. It's dark. It's cold. I, I layer up with some more clothes that I had in my bag, and I sit at the bus stop. And I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do next. So like, Public transportation. If I can find the longest bus route, perhaps I can ride that throughout the night. It'll be warm. There'll be people around the, on the bus, so I won't have to worry about maybe being harmed by anyone. Bus number 174. Never forget the bus number. It starts its route downtown Seattle, travels south to South Federal Way. So it could be a good 45 hour, perhaps even more, depending upon how many stops, how many people. So I get on the bus. I start at the beginning of the route. I've secured a good seat, have my bags next to me, and I'm sitting in the seat next to the window. Well, as the bus travels, it gets more crowded, and eventually there are no more seats on the bus. And I notice this woman, she's standing, and I, I can tell she's pretty uncomfortable, but I'm not offering her a seat, right? I'm, I'm angry, right? I'm bitter. I got bigger problems. Her problems that she needs a seat. You know, I don't have any place to go. Um, but eventually she gets my attention and she's, you know, can, can you please move your bags to the floor so I can sit down? And at first, you know, in, in, in my anger, I, I tell her no. And I look back at her, I'm not sure why, but when I look back at her, there's something warm and kind in her face. And I apologize and I move my bags to the floor and I say, I'm sorry, you can sit down. And as she's seated next to me, I, I start to tell her I'm just upset because I don't have any place to go. And she looks at me and she looks down at my bags. She sees the, the clothing that's in you know, pl these plastic bags. And she looks back at me and she says, you know, I don't have much. My husband and I, we just have a trailer. But you can come home with me and we'll make room for you. So I, I went home that night with Cheryl Blankenship. That was her name. You never forget the, the name of a person like that. And I stayed with her for about six months before I eventually made my way to um, a youth shelter. Before I left, Cheryl said, 
you know, everything's going to be okay. You know, she's like, I, I have a feeling about you. You know, things are going to be okay. I'm looking at her like, you know, I don't know about this, but, <laughs> you know. But she says, because I told her about, you know, knocking at the doors of Child Protective Services and not having a response. And she says, you know, you keep knocking and you tell your story and people are going to open doors. You got to forgive me. So... I make my way onto, I think it was United, I went through so many different youth homes, but ultimately I ended up at, um, I, it, it, it was called a, a number of different names, United Indian Shelter, Iowa Sale, so it was a youth home over in Ballard, Washington. So I'm there, and all the children who are in the youth home there, and there are many of us, um, you had children who were displaced because their parents were had um, drug addiction issues. Um, maybe their parents were also abusive like mine, or some of them had been abandoned. Others of them had been displaced because they were gay or lesbian, and their parents did not want them in the household, did not want to claim them anymore. So we all had our shared story <laughs> that kind of brought us together. All the children in this youth home, they went to um, uh, Indian Heritage School. And I was, you know, I had learned early on that school was a safe place. So I actually liked school. I went to a whole bunch of different schools based upon, you know, what was happening in my life. But I found that, you know, I could get there early. I could stay there late doing homework or pretending to be interested in doing homework. And I could get three free meals. So it was like, it was good. <laughs> So I, I turned out to be a pretty smart kid. So I was walking around the campus of this school, and I'm just like bored because I'm, I'm thinking the materials that they're giving me, this is not challenging. And so I run into this lady, and, you know, and I, I, again, I have an attitude. I'm like, well, look, I may be homeless in a youth shelter, but I'm not a dummy. You know, this work is ridiculous. And she tells me, you know, you need to go see Julie Zarelli, who's on the campus of Seattle Central. And so she connects me with this lady, Julie Zarelli, and um, I go meet Julie, and for whatever reason, Julie, like Cheryl, takes me under her wing. And she does tremendous things in terms of making sure that I'm, you know, going to school, getting what I need at the youth shelter. Um, she orchestrates me finishing high school, even had me do um, community college classes while I was in high school. And so by the time I'm finishing high, completing high school, I'm supposed to be off to college. She'd even done the, the applications. But there's this funny thing that tends to happen in street youth, and you know, you get on the wrong path again, and you 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 um, you find yourself being being vulnerable and desiring you know attention and love. And so that's what happened to me, and I ended up being pregnant before I graduated from high school. And so I remember being in Ms. Sorelli's office and explaining to her, you know, I, I think I'm going to keep it. And the conversation we had, well, how are you going to change your life? How are you going to change that baby's life, you know? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to keep this baby. And she says, well, you know, you've been accepted to the University of Washington, you know, and, and, and school starts in September. When's that baby due? So I think he's due in September. She said, okay. Well, you better hope that baby comes early because come September, you're going to be on the campus. <laughs> So sure enough, baby comes early. Thank goodness, because she was not playing, and you didn't question this woman. So I began college, and 
you know, it, it, more issues. You're still faced with, you know, the lack of resources, um, rotating between paying the light bill and having food one week. That, that was my story. Um, I was working throughout the pregnancy. Um, I couldn't get the last bus back home, so I was sleeping, you know, at the job and carrying clothes to school the next day and so forth, um, bringing the baby to class with me because I couldn't afford daycare. So that was the undergraduate struggle. And at the end of undergraduate school, which just just a miracle making it through, I had another conversation with Ms. Arelli, and she said, okay, what's the plan now? I said, I don't know. (laughs) I can't believe we did that. (laughs) And I think it was her idea. I think she said, well, you know, what about law school? And I was really, I wasn't excited at all about law school because the law for me at that point hadn't done anything. Um, my, the father of my, my child from the teenage pregnancy had been incredibly abusive and I had sought protection orders and been laughed at by the judge. Um, there had been an occasion where, you know, I had told, um, my daughter's father, you know, I don't think it's safe to come with you because I know you have a warrant out for your arrest. And I also know, I saw in the news that, the ch- one of the children in your home found a gun under the pillow and shot themselves in the stomach. It's like a big thing in, in, at, the t- at the time. It's a town hall and everything, discussion about gun violence and children. And I remember asking, going to court and saying, you know, maybe there, there should be something. I didn't know what to call them, restrictions or limitations. I didn't know. I was just saying, I just want to protect my child. And again, judges hadn't responded to me. Law hadn't done anything for me. Child Protective Services, you know, knocking at the door and and being told I'm not abandoned. There's nothing they can do. So when she said law school, I thought, are you kidding me? What am I going to do? Besides, I didn't see any When I went to court, I didn't see any lawyers who looked like me. All I saw was other, you know, I didn't even think I knew at the time we were called pro se litigants. All I saw was other women, immigrant women, minority women who were struggling, who were being laughed at and ridiculed. We weren't living the courthouse with any sense of justice. And she said, well, perhaps that's exactly why you should go. (laughs) Well, how can I afford that? And then Cheryl's words came to mind. You got to knock on some doors. And the door that I next knocked on when I had become crystallized in the idea of going to law school was the American Bar Association store. And they responded with the Legal Opportunity Scholarship Fund. So a scholarship they give out to underrepresented groups to help them finance a legal education. It's an amount of $15,000, $5,000 over the course of three years. And I ultimately got it accepted into the University of Washington School of Law. And they matched the scholarship. So it became a total of $30,000, which was pretty significant, 2001. That's when I um, entered law school. That was pretty amazing for me. Now, my struggle was far from over, but there was something about getting that scholarship that made me think, wow, I I can do some stuff. I might actually just make it. I graduated from law school, and I went on to be a prosecutor for the city of Seattle. And I worked in a specially uh, funded unit by the federal government that had the specific focus of prosecuting repeat serious domestic violence abusers. 
that was the beginning of me realizing that, hey, I can take this history and I can do something with it. I can take this history and I don't have to knock on doors. I got this law degree I'm armored with. I can bust down some doors and make some justice happen. So that's kind of the story of my path um, to law school. And now, um, after having done a little bit of prosecution at the city level, I then went on to be an assistant attorney general for our Washington State Attorney General's Office. Um, taught at a community college because I met Julie Zarelli on the campus of a community college. And so I thought, well, you know, just that was kind of like the, the gateway. You know, you meet a lot of individuals in need at the community com campus level. So I thought I should go back there and, and do the same thing that she did for me. And just recently, I started my own law practice where I do family law and dependency work, representing parents in need and, and children. So now I have the opportunity, I think, to help others, you know, walk a path in the same way that people helped me. So that's my story. Well, uh, thank you for sharing that with us, Andrea. Uh, you know, our, our listeners out there uh, may have some questions and maybe they want to talk to you about some of these things that you've experienced. Uh, and if they, if they do, how can they find you? Uh, JarmanLaw.net. And I'm also on the Board of Governors for our Washington State Bar Association. So you can find me there, WSBA.org. Okay. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. It was a terrific story and, and I think just the perfect way to close out our 2016 coverage of ABA annual meeting. Thank you. Oh, wow. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Well, you didn't fall asleep, so I hope it was all right. <laughs> I'm not going to fall asleep. That was a great story. No, it was terrific. So thank you. I know it was uh, challenging getting over here and I know you had a million and a half things to do and uh, I got ran over If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.